Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I'm Dennis Foley. Now here's Jack Riccardi. All right, Dennis, I have to ask, and then we'll explain what this question is about. Um, did you do the Zumba or the yoga? I did neither. I also did not do the virtual massage. <laughs> uh, remember the other day we were talking about uh, employee appreciation. Yes. Our our parent company, God bless them, yeah. came up with this whole slate of um, employee appreciation activities. And I kept getting these calendar alerts on my phone for a yoga class. I'm like, what? I, I don't take yoga. I mean, anybody listening to me, I think, can pretty much tell that. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were pushing the yoga and Zumba. And then I don't even know what virtual massage is. I'm not, I'm not sure I understand what. I don't do you, either. Do you know what that is? No, no, there, there are some comments here in the newsroom that, uh, not safe for, uh, not safe for radio about what. I mean, what virtual massage sounds like what, what are you going to talk to me about a massage or what? I mean, <laughs> so, um, I just want everybody to know I'm going to be as uptight as I ever am because, uh, I didn't have any of those things today, so. I do appreciate their appreciation. Uh, I know their hearts are in the right place. But, you know, guys, we can't fill our gas tank with Zumba. Just saying, just, you know, just pointing that out to Portland. Can't run our cars on yoga. All right, so we talked about it this week, right? The uh, the White House is uh, spinning gas prices as the Putin price hike. And um, this is not... This is nothing to laugh about because th- there really is something going on here. W- w- I was reading a story that was full of charts and graphs, but I was pretty much able to follow it. And it says that we are headed for an oil shock because not only are prices high, but right now petroleum inventories in the United States are depleting to very low levels. So we are running low on the big tank, if you will, the, the, the tank of all tanks. And uh, the commercial stock of oil is down significantly. And if you look at charts, um, it's been going down since we started moving around again in late 2020. So there's an idea floating around. And I'm telling you right now, at the moment, this is in the realm of economists. But the politicians are going to love this idea. And it's what... I believe they are going to do next about gas prices. So this has not happened yet. This is what I think is going to happen next. The idea is government gasoline vouchers. Uh, an economist uh, named Ian Shepardson says, if I were the Democratic leadership in the House, I would bring forward a bill to put up 50 or 100 billion dollars in gas price relief to low-income households and defy Republicans to vote against it. It would be a voucher program. You'd get $300 a month in gasoline voucher money. You have to spend it on gasoline. And you're saying, well, why can't we just pump more domestic oil and bring down the cost? 
like we were doing before this year. But see, you're asking the wrong question if you're asking that. That's a solution to the problem, but that's not of any value to politicians. See, we can talk about American energy independence. You and I like the sound of that. But since when do Democrats and even most Republicans want any kind of independence? Since when have they wanted you to be independent of them? Since when have they wanted uh, a free market in anything? The name of the game with politicians these days, as I'm sure you've noticed, is not independence, it's dependence. Dependence on them. So imagine if, just as they did during COVID, when they shut down the economy and they shut down your ability to support, you know, support your family, and then they said, but we're going to make it up to you. We feel you. We're going to send you money. And the idea was, well, we, 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 we taketh away and we giveth. I think they're going to do the same thing here. Now look at it another way. If you're the Democratic Party, there's just no way to reconcile increased domestic oil production with the Green New Deal. You can't promise to make more of something you've told everybody was poison. So this way you don't have to. You don't have to increase domestic production. Oil prices can stay high. Gas prices at the pump can stay high and go higher, and they're going to. Because you're going to give people money for it. And you say, but Riccardi, don't you understand economics? If we, if we start throwing more uh, of this money into the economy, just like we did with the COVID stimulus money, it will raise inflation. It will raise prices on everything. They know that. That's why after the gasoline vouchers, there probably will be grocery vouchers or vouchers for other things. I hate to tell you this, but I think they're going to love this idea. And I'm trying to figure out who's going to come out against it and how many of them there are going to be. And I'm afraid there aren't going to be enough. Remember, COVID bucks started under which president? That's right. What do you think about $300 a month government gasoline vouchers? 210 599 5555. So, big story this week has been this uh, parental rights and education bill in Florida, which its opponents have deceptively labeled the Don't Say Gay Bill. A conservative group in Wisconsin uh, recently exposed uh, some teacher training in the Eau Claire area school district. This is a teacher training program or PowerPoint for teachers in the school district, and it's about uh, kids and their sexual identities. And it says in part, one of the slides says, parents are not in, uh, parents are not entitled to know their kids' sexual identities. Parents must earn the right to know their child's sexual identity. And, um, in that same district, a teacher recently put up a poster at the high school that read, if your parents aren't accepting of your identity, I'm your mom now. If your parents are not accepting your identity, I'm your mom now. You know, back when we used to watch Chris Hansen to Catch a Predator on Dateline, all of those stories were so depressingly the same. All of those child molesters and predators 
groomed their victims. Right? They didn't immediately set up a meeting. They groomed them. They worked on them. They conversed with them. They, they sympathized with them. And that's what all of this is. This isn't diversity or tolerance, because there's sure no to- surely no tolerance of traditional values. There's certainly no tolerance of parental rights. There's no respect for parents. In fact, parents are just the taxpayers now. The only thing they want from us is our money. And this thing in Florida, there's a group called Together Rising that is uh, spending money fighting the Florida legislation. And they um, announced it on Twitter yesterday. And one of the things they said in their announcement, and I'm, I'm quoting directly from their Twitter feed, Together Rising, they tweeted out, there's no such thing as other people's children. There's no such thing as other people's children. Think about what that means for a minute. There's no such thing as other people's children. That, isn't that another way of saying there are children now? And so we have these stories in the news every day, and we tend to think of them, and I'm guilty of this too, in terms of the the logic of them. We, we refute them on logic. We say, well, haven't you read the bill? The bill doesn't say you can't say the word gay. We, we challenge people to look at what the actual wording of a bill is. We challenge them to look at the law. We challenge them to respect our rights as parents. But all of that, when you come right down to it, is, is kind of playing defense. What if instead of defending our right to our children, what if instead of defending our right to teach them what we want to teach them about not only sex, but race and everything else. What if instead we made the other side justify or explain why they are discussing sexual identity or sexual fluidity? Why is it okay for them to propose to do this, or in many cases to just do it? Where was that election? When was that decision? When did we have that vote? Of course, the answer is we never did. But this is another example. I say this a lot about Republicans and conservatives. Every game is an away game. We're always playing on the other team's field. And if you know anything about sports, when you play on the other team's field, even though the rules of the game are nominally the same, the advantage is with the other team. The crowd is with the other team. The officials might be with the other team. Everything's just with the other team. It's slight, but it's significant. We're playing this game, only it's a game for our kids, on their field. And we shouldn't be. There is absolutely no presumption that these people have any right to say anything to any of our kids about sexual identity. We've never given them that right or permission or space, and we're not about to start now. They've taken it because we haven't spoken up and we haven't challenged them. We haven't made them show us where they get the authority, where are they getting off. And we haven't come at them. We've been too polite. 
We've treated this like it's another viewpoint or it's an alternative viewpoint. These are molesters and predators who are grooming our kids. I don't believe them when they say, oh, we just want to open their eyes to all the possibilities. That's what the guy at the you know, arcade at the mall would say to them. That's what the guy in the Yahoo chat room would say to them years ago when Chris Hansen was catching them on Dateline NBC. So we don't buy it anymore. Just like we don't buy that you're just trying to teach the, the, the total history of the United States when you teach critical race theory. No, you're not. You're trying to teach white guilt. And we're not having it. And we're not going to be polite about it, and we're not going to be nice about it, and we're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say, well, I'm sure you mean well, but, because they don't. There's an economist who's proposing $300 a month gasoline vouchers from the government, because that way working families could pay these high and going higher prices. And when I read this, I thought, my God, that is what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. Because we can talk all we want about free markets and let the market... But that, that, that is not in the interest of politicians. You know why? You know why politicians don't care about that stuff? Because first of all, anything that, that makes them look good is going to be their top priority. And it's got to be simple, right? It's got to be something they can take direct credit for. I sent you a check. I signed the check. Is that kind of thing. You know, they can't, they can't hope that if they increase domestic production and they grant a bunch of new leases and permits and they build the XL pipeline. And today, uh, Joe Manchin says that, that President Biden should use the Defense Production Act to do emergency pipeline building. They can't count on us crediting them. If they do those things and the pump price recedes, we might not give them the credit or we might not give the right people the credit what if god forbid you give the wrong party the credit so the the check thing is a way of saying they gotta they gotta be grateful to us they gotta thank us they've got to connect it to us and every good thing comes from the government and you know we're dealing with a population of americans fewer and fewer of them really understand markets anymore and 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 economics 101 we're not teaching it so, again, the idea, the idea you might have of how we pump our way and drill our way out of this is, yes, the right idea. But it's not the right idea if you're a politician that wants credit and glory and power. Dependency is the name of the game now. And the voucher thing is dependency. There is a boldness there is an increasing amount of audacity to the grooming of children in public schools. And it is grooming. I don't, I don't discount that there really are children of all ages who have inside of them confusion about who they are and, and their gender. I, I'm not saying that never happens organically, but I think most of what's happening now is the creation of activists. So they're pretending there is a crisis. They're actually creating the crisis so that they can impose their solution. And their solution is to divide you from your kids. And they're not reaching out to you. You know, when I was a kid, if you got sick at school, if you, if you threw up or you had a fever, they called your mom. Right? 
Because who needed to know that first? Something's wrong with, with Jimmy or, or Susie. Who needed to know that first? The parent. This philosophy is the parents don't need to know at all. I remember years ago there was the debate over whether minors should be able to get an abortion without parental consent. That seems like the quaint old days now. It seems like something from the 19th century. We're way past that. And so we have teacher training that says don't tell the parents, don't listen to the parents. We have posters up in the school saying, hey, kids, don't don't worry about coming out to your parents. Come out to us. I'm your mother now. <laughs> it doesn't get any plainer than that. 210-599-5555. Mark is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Mark, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. I'm the substation guy that called in the other day. I have a comment about the uh, the teachers and children. Um, my fiance has been in early childhood education and care for almost 18 years. Uh, she refers to all her children as her babies, as in she would lay down and take a bullet for them to protect them. Um, short of children being neglected, beaten, or starved by their parents, she stays in her lane, teaches them their ABCs, their colors, their shapes and numbers, and everything else is for the parents to decide on. Well, that sounds like the way it should be. I mean, that sounds like the way it was when we were when we were kids. But but I mean, when you look at what they're doing now, it's it it closely resembles what we have been told by years of stranger danger news stories sexual predators do in grooming their young victims. You know, you you put yourself in the position of being their best friend. You you commiserate with them. You tell them you can only trust me. Don't talk to anybody else about how you're feeling, but tell me. Isn't that what they're doing? Yes, it's the same thing with the gas vouchers, how the government wants us to be dependent on them for gas. They, they're developing an emotional dependence on the, with the children um, and yeah. pushing the parent out of it. And yeah. all it is is trying to indoctrinate them into a, a way that's going to uh, change America for the worst, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's a good parallel that you drew to the gas thing. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate hearing from you. 210-599-5555. Now, here's a, here's a weird one. Have you ever been in Facebook jail? Have you ever been scolded, spanked, had your knuckles wrapped by Facebook? They have all these rules. You never know when you're breaking one. Facebook is amending or suspending its policy on hate speech so that Instagram and Facebook users are allowed to call for violence against Russian soldiers in the context of the invasion of Ukraine. The company will call will allow users in some countries to call for the death of Vladimir Putin or the president of uh, Belorussia. And so people in the um, Eastern European countries, not only Ukraine, but neighboring countries, are going to be allowed to call for violence against Russian soldiers, violence against the Russian president and his allied governments. <laughs> um, I mean, you can't make up stuff like this, right? Violence is never the answer. Hate speech is never the answer. We will never... Oh, wait a minute. We have found some hate speech we do like. Okay, I mean, th this this just, and look, I'm not defending Putin, but 
This just gives the lie to the whole concept that they are the thought police and the language police and they have more virtue. All the people at Facebook and Meta and so forth, all they are, they're just people like you and me. They're just, they're just making, you know, seat of the pants judgment calls. They're just feeling their way along. If it feels right, we'll allow it. If it feels wrong, we won't. That's not fact checking or scouring the the site for hate speech and i mean you know really like is this brave of facebook like oh now we're going to really take it to putin people can hate on him on facebook oh that that ought to stop him i mean that's where we're at right now (laughs) you think of that a teacher in washington state has received a letter of reprimand after making sexually suggestive jokes with students during class the uh, teacher had posted on social media about this exchange she had with her students over a cat butt tissue dispenser in her classroom. She has a tissue dispenser where the, the Kleenex t- tissues come out of the butt of a cat. Okay? I don't know if you can picture that or not. And um, she posted a story about how... Um, the dispenser ran out of tissues. And according to her, a student noticed this and asked, how do you refill it? I pause for a moment, then I tell my class, well, I turn down the lights, put on some soft music, and use a lot of Vaseline. I may have had them retrieve a big container of petroleum jelly I had in my closet for reasons dot 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 and placed it right by the cat the cat the class took a turn after that so she put it out there she wasn't hiding it it wasn't somebody diming her out she received a formal letter of reprimand the school said quote although this conduct is concerning it does not merit such an extreme result as termination the district reached its decision in consultation with legal counsel the teachers union and applicable state Laws. Who, who talks to children like this? I mean, I know people, I know adults, we joke about all kinds of things with each other. Who talks to children like this? Unless you're up to something, unless you have an agenda with them. This kind of talk has nothing to do with teaching anything or showing openness or tolerance for anything. I mean, give me a break. So if we keep stepping back and we keep yielding ground and we keep hoping that the tide will turn by itself, they just get bolder and bolder and more and more um, aggressive. I mean, I'm sure there have always been people who work with children who shouldn't. I'm sure that's always been a thing. And we know that institutions like scouting in the Catholic Church, have gone through very painful and are going through very painful processes because they didn't pay attention to this. They didn't take this seriously. They didn't look and and heed the warning signs. Or they looked away. They looked the other way. We know that these institutions got themselves into trouble because when the warning signs were reported or, or noticed... Good people did nothing. 
Aren't these warning signs? And then there was another story of a teacher that had made a um, a needlepoint and um, hung it on the wall in the classroom. It said, making your kids queer since 2020. And the teacher justified it by saying that she needed to blow off some steam, that there's a lot of pressure. She has a lot of pressure. She's under a lot of pressure. And it was just a joke to alleviate some of her stress. But when you know that this is already in the wind and you're putting that sign up, I think what you're saying is, I don't think they can touch me. I don't think they can stop me. And I think they know us as, as, as parents and as traditional parents and as conservatives. I think they know us. I think they know that we will revert to logic. I think they know that we will revert to the wording of laws. We'll stay up and read up on the law. We'll look at the, the, you know, we'll be able to cite the, the appropriate statute. But this isn't a legal battle. This is a cultural battle. When people are saying your children don't belong to you, they're challenging you. That's like somebody climbing in the window of your bedroom. I mean, it really is. I'm not advocating for violence. I'm advocating for vehemence. I'm saying it's time to play offense. What gives you the right? Justify for me why you're teaching this, saying this, speaking these words, joking about this, posting this on the classroom. Why are teachers being trained to do this? Why is this in the training curriculum? They need to justify what they're doing. We don't need to justify wanting the authority over our own kids. Now, as parents, we can't control how our kids turn out. We can't, we can't make them straight. We can't make them go to church. We can't make them live a life the way we would want them to live it. But what we do have is the best, we, we take our best shot, right? All we can do as parents is give it our best shot, set the best example we can in those moments when you have those those conversations, try to find the right words, try to say the right things, pray over them a lot. In the end, it's not a guarantee. It's not. It, it, there's there's no guarantee in parenting. You can't you can't come back with your paperwork and go. Well, I I um. When this uh, child was born, I wanted a quarterback. That's not how it works. But it's our prerogative. No one else's. And when we send our kids to school, we know what we expect. We've always assumed they knew what we expect. I think they did know when you and I went to school Parents didn't have to think about the stuff you and I are talking about right now. They didn't have to think about this. There was an alignment that went unspoken. That's why when you were in trouble at school, you were in trouble at home. And we used to say, you know, the, the advice they used to give parents was, check your kid's work. Because everybody was on the same page. If Johnny has math homework, Johnny needs to do his math homework. But we're not on the same page now. I'm sorry to say that. And 
I know this offends teachers when I say it because they think I'm saying this about every teacher. I'm not. But you who are not deserving of this description know that there are teachers who are. You know this. So don't come at me with the, you're picking on my profession. Your profession has a lot to answer for. And if you don't, good for you. But it needs to go the other way. We need to stop justifying why we want primacy over our children. That's not, that's not something we have to explain. They have to explain what they're doing, what these examples I've just given you. What is this about? Where is this coming from? Like, I don't just want to know that you reprimanded the teacher. I want to know where did she get the freaking idea that that was an acceptable kind of discussion? What level of maturity or immaturity does she have? What issues is she acting out on? Maybe she doesn't need a letter of reprimand. Maybe she needs a leave of absence. Because if she's got to talk about anal sex and Vaseline in front of her kids, it sounds to me like she's a pot boiling over. You know? I mean, this is what I want to ask. Where do you get the idea that any of this is okay? Why are you having discussions in your training sessions about what parents don't need to know? Parents need to know everything. There's a portal. Most school districts have an online portal, and you can go on that portal and you can see your kids' grades. You can see if they've turned in assignments. You can see if they've got overdue library books. I can see what things uh, she eats in the cafeteria. If I need to know all that, then I need to know what you're telling her about sexuality and her future and her identity. For crying out loud, how much more important is that than what she ate in the cafeteria or which books at the library? Right? Are you with me on that? You feel me on that? 210-599-5555. All right, I want to hear what you think about this. There's a lot we could say. Uh, I know it's Friday, and you're thinking, really? But I'm fired up about this. I think this is important. And I think we've got to go at it a different way. You know, I think the model that, that happened with distance learning and critical race theory showed the way. Because what happened was parents went to school board meetings. Now, forever in a day, they've been inviting us to the school board meetings. For years as a parent, I heard, we would love to have you. We, we welcome parental involvement. And what they meant by that was, come see us do our jobs. But then these parents started really looking because they'd been privy to lessons that they had never seen before. The kid was doing the lesson at home. You could see, you could hear it. And they started saying, I don't, I don't understand why you're saying this or why you're teaching that. Oh, they didn't like that. That was a kind of parental involvement they didn't like at all. And then as they got more um, defensive, parents got more aggressive. And then as we got more aggressive, they tried to keep us out of the meetings or get us arrested or close the meetings or call us domestic terrorists. Let me tell you something. The things that led them to brand us domestic terrorists are exactly the things we need to be doing now. If you care about this stuff I'm talking about, if you don't care about it, then I'm just some crazy guy on the radio. Talking about um, what I consider to be the grooming of vulnerable children in the public classrooms of America, 
by people who are not interested in simply helping a confused child sort out their confusion or letting a child know that they they will still be loved if they're gay or lesbian or or bi. I, I'm I'm not against anybody who wants kids to know that you you have a future. It's going to be okay. Uh, we care about you. But that's not what this is. And when we're talking about keeping parents out of the equation, that would be like if your child got physically sick at school. Okay? If your child began to run a temperature or became nauseous or was doubled over in pain. How, what would you think if the school said, well, we're going to just handle this ourselves? There's no need for the parents to know. I mean, nobody would agree with that. Nobody should be okay with teachers in schools consciously putting themselves in between children and parents. And then when you have teachers talking about, you know, Vaseline and the butt open, you know, (laughs) I mean, when you're doing that in front of a kid, you've got a problem. You're not an educator anymore. You're acting out. And you should be removed from that position. I don't care if they fire you or not or put your ass in some other job where you're not around the kids. They want to stick you in the curriculum department or the, or the district headquarters, find you some job. I don't care. But you shouldn't be with kids. I mean, you really shouldn't be. Full stop. Steve is at 210-599-5555 on KTSA San Antonio. Hi, Steve. Hey, how you doing, Jack? Um, along the lines of, of uh, teachers all thinking that they're, um, that they're the ones who are in charge of your child, um, I, got, I got to preface this by saying that I've taught my kids all along that it's not my job to get them out of trouble. It's my job to make sure they're treated fairly. That's it. Um, whatever, if, if they did something to get in trouble, then they deserve to be punished. Um, however, I actually had a vice principal of a junior high tell me that while my child was on their campus, my child belonged to them. Um, I told this vice principal that I had better never hear those words come out of his mouth again. I wanted to come across that table and pop his head like a zit. Um, I told him, my child never belongs to you. My child belongs to me. You are responsible for my child, but my child belongs to me always. Do I make myself clear? Um, it's it's the arrogance of school officials and teachers. Remember, we all had teachers. They were all authority figures in our minds, and they exploit that. They 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 become authority figures even to adults. And they think they have a right to do so. And it's absurd. Well, they got a head start on us, Steve, because, and I think you put your finger on it, they they know that in our experience in public schools, I don't know, you know what your age is or when you were in, but when I was in public school in the 70s and, and 80s, you know, th- those assumptions were good assumptions. Parents and teachers were on the same team. There wasn't exactly. a culture war between parents and schools. So they're presuming, or they're hoping you'll presume that is still the case. And when you find out it isn't, that all I'm trying to say today is when you find out it isn't, just know that you've got to be aggressive and play offense, 
not defense. You don't have to justify why you don't want your child to be taught something or told something. They have to justify why they are teaching it. Precisely. And no, of course the kids don't belong to them. What the, what the hell kind of language is that? I mean, that's the, that's the language. Yeah, Thank you, Steve, for the call. That's that's the language of a totalitarian regime. That's the language of 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 a of a Putin or a you know a dictator. I mean, to be honest, isn't the whole point of of America that none of us belong to anyone? I thought that's what the 1619 project was about. I thought that's why we were having this re, you know, this 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 revisiting and redressing of slavery. You don't belong to anybody. Now, as children, as our children, we love our children. We have responsibility for our children. But as Rush Limbaugh used to say about talent, used to say, I have talent on loan from God. Our children are on loan from God. We don't need to talk about who owns them. We need to respect who has the right to bring them up. And you have the right even to be a terrible parent. You have a right even to be a parent that is selfish or neglectful or hot-headed that supersedes their right to talk about using Vaseline on the anus. <laughs> Sorry to be graphic, but it just that's how it works, okay? And we're not, believe me, no one pays their taxes to the local school district with the idea that, oh, I'm paying the other parents of my children. No one ever says that. Um, I'm going to preface this story by saying that we uh, did ask for and, and extend the invitation to uh, Democratic congressional candidate uh, Jessica Cisneros to be on our show. We've invited her before. She's in a runoff with Henry Cuellar, con- Congressman Henry Cuellar, and we've invited her before, and, and, and I hope someday she'll come on. He's been on with us a number of times. Um, the New York Post is reporting today, and their their angle on it is that Jessica Cisneros is an AOC-backed candidate, so that's why the New York Post has this story. Uh, they're reporting today that Jessica Cisneros had a long-running affair with her former high school teacher, and they obtained and reproduced emails that appear to be to and from uh, the two of them, so Jessica Cisneros and a man named John Bali, and that this exchange began in 2011 when she was 18 and had gone to college and he was 40 and had been a teacher of hers in high school. And I guess it wouldn't be that unusual if you went off to college to maintain contact or stay in touch with a high school teacher, but these these emails are pretty clearly emails between two people that have shared intimacy, um, are talking about anniversaries. Um, there's a lot of emotion. He uh, met and married another woman. And there's an email that seems to be from Jessica Cisneros in which she bemoans their breakup and says things are raw for me and I'm trying to stay busy. I hope we can keep in touch. And so forth, and um, and he writes back to her, and they they pine for each other, and they 
miss each other. And again, it, it's not where you could read these and think, well, maybe they're just being like buddies. Uh, there's, you know, discussion of making love and kisses and cuddles and snores. You were my first and my only and my only one, John, etc. Um, further complicating this story, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be as, as, I'm trying to play this down the middle just to give you the facts as we, as we think we know them. Further complicating this story, uh, this uh, man, Bali, now works as a lawyer and apparently has some interest in serving on Jessica Cisneros' congressional staff if she is to be elected to Congress. She has described her relationship with him in the past as a mentor relationship. She told the Laredo Morning Times when she ran for Congress last time that uh, he was an influence on her. He believed in me so much through college, through law school. He's been there and has been such a big impact, as many educators are, she told them. These emails do tell a different story. Um, I, I, I want to be clear about this. I would like to hear her side of this or explanation for it. Um, my first thought, I'm the father of a teenager. I think you may know that teenage girl, you know, I got to be honest with you. My first thought, and I don't agree with Jessica Cisneros and I don't want to see her elected to Congress, but my first thought here was before anything else, she was a victim because no adult in an authority position should be taking advantage of it. Even if there are, you know, crushes on teachers or, younger women, older man crushes, whatever, you, you, you have a responsibility as a man and as a man in a response, in a, in a position like being a teacher, you have a responsibility to act the right way. So first, she's a victim. She may not think she is, but if this is what was going on, I believe she is. And then I want to know, and, and I would ask her this if she was on with us right now. Um, are of course are these emails accurate? Are they in context? Is there some other context in which they could be understood? And then I would want to know um, who put them out. The New York Post doesn't say where they got them. They say they obtained them. Obviously, one possible source for them would be a political opponent. But that's not the only place from which they could have originated. Uh, did he know about them? Did he have anything to do with putting them out? Is there some sort of bad blood between them? Because i got to be honest with you, I again, I don't support her. I don't agree with her on probably anything. I don't live in that district, so I'm not going to vote in that election. But um, this is not, this should not be what that election is about. And I don't know if it will be or not. The campaign for Jessica Cisneros is saying this isn't going to decide the election. This isn't what voters in the district care about. That's probably true. But I still have questions, and I think anybody that would read these would have questions about uh, what was going on here, what is going on here. And the the thing that makes it or connects it back to the present is, is there still a relationship um, 
such that you would hire this guy. Because that, again, is his apparent intention. He would like to work on her congressional staff. That, to me, would be, that's a non-starter. That, that you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't have that. It's bad enough when there are uh, improper uh, connections made on congressional staffs, but you can't hire somebody where you've already done that. And that does make it relevant to the voters and the people that live in that district, were she to be elected as the congressman for that district. So that's the story in a nutshell. I've given you the condensed uh, version of it. I really would like to hear her version of events and her explanation of it. I I, I don't think she owes us that, but now that it's out, it seems like it would be better to own what you want to own and deny what can be denied. What do you think? Um, this is the kind of thing that, personally, I hate about politics. This is the kind of stuff that um, gives getting into politics a bad name. This is actually the kind of stuff, I believe, that probably keeps a lot of otherwise good people from ever uh, you know, entering the arena. Because they go, well, I... I just, I would never want to be, uh, put in that position, or I would never want to have to answer for my past, or I just, it's, they're going to dig and dig and dig. And so the kind of people you and I wish would seek public office, a lot of them don't. And, and sometimes it's for reasons like this. Not that they've done these exact things, but that they believe their personal life will be incessantly mined for nuggets of whatever innuendo you know inferences what have you um what do you think of this story uh and does it does it matter and i realize that probably most people listening to this show are not simpatico with jessica cisneros politics so it would be easy to get on board and go oh well that should that should be that done with her we're not going to have her in congress but I, i i don't know i mean Maybe this works the other way for her. For all we know, this generates sympathy for her. I don't know. We'll see. Never say never. I think we've learned that the last couple of years. So they sentenced Jesse Smollett to 150 days in jail, and then he'll have some extended home probation period. Home probation sounds like it sounds like what everybody was doing in 2020, doesn't it? Anyway, um, there's some debate about whether this was a, a severe sentence or a light sentence, uh, whether the judge was harsh or too lenient. And I'm not, a, I'm not a legal expert. I don't know. This is a guy, remember, this is the guy who asserted that in, uh, I believe it was early 2019, he was mining his own beeswax, walking down the street in Chicago at 2 o'clock in the morning with his Subway sandwich, like we all do when we're in Chicago. And <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. And the the Trump supporters jumped him and tied a rope around his neck. And he really had quite a story. They were yelling racial epithets. They were beating on him. They were threatening to kill him. They were yelling MAGA country, which how anyone could construe Chicago as MAGA country, that's, whew, you got to really squint to see that. 
his story was a grandiose lie and an incredibly harmful, dangerous, and expensive lie. And the judge, and I want you to hear some of this, and we've condensed it down because he went on for quite a while, but I want, to, I want you to hear kind of the nub of the message that Judge James Lynn, this is saying what needed to be said in the courtroom at the sentencing yesterday. Take a listen to this. I know that Jussie Smollett grew up knowing to be sensitive to matters about racial discrimination, any kind of discrimination. And for you now to sit here convicted of hoaxing hate crimes, racial hate crimes and homophobic hate crimes, the hypocrisy is just astounding. And for you to be here now convicted of these hate crimes uh, is just astonishing. Faking hate crimes. So why did this happen? That's a good question. I think that's the question on everybody's mind. There's some conjecture you did it for the money. Frankly, I do not believe that you did it for the money. You were making, the evidence showed, close to $2 million a year when this happened. I don't think money motivated you at all. But the only thing I can find is that you really craved the attention and you wanted to get the attention and you were so invested in issues of social justice and you knew that this was a sore spot for everybody in this country. You knew this was a country that was slowly trying to heal uh, past injustices and current injustices and trying to make a better future for each other. And it was a hard road. And you took some scabs off some healing wounds and you ripped them apart for one reason. You wanted to make yourself more famous. And for a while it worked. Everybody was talking about you. The lights were on you. You were actually throwing a national pity party for yourself. And why would you do such a thing? Why would you, I, I understand, you crave the attention so much, but why would you betray something like social justice issues, which you care so much about? And the only thing I can conclude is that, is, and I acknowledge, there are wonderful sides to you. They're, they're very giving and charitable and loving sides to you, but you have another side of you that is profoundly arrogant and self, selfish and narcissistic. That's the only thing that can be concluded. And that bad side of you came out during the course of all these events. Um, I, I think he put his finger on it. I really do. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thrown all the hearts and flowers at the end. But I, I, um, I really believe that we would be better off if Jussie Smollett had just needed money. We would be better off if the people who do racial hoax events, who tie their own nooses and spray their own graffiti just wanted money and i say that because it would still be wrong and it would still be a lie but it would be for the reasons that other crimes are committed that crime has always been committed when the first caveman stole you know firewood from the cave next door it's always been about money it's always been about value but i think jesse smollett is a product of our culture and I see it in our kids. I listen to kids that have good lives talk about how put upon and victimized they are and how hard it is. We've taught that being a victim is not just an identity, but it's the preferred identity. We've taught people that you can't even have an opinion about a subject unless you are a victim of it. Right? I mean, remember when every celebrity who went on Oprah Winfrey 
when Oprah Winfrey was the big thing in daytime talk television? Remember how every celebrity that went on Oprah Winfrey, it was, it was, it was almost required. It almost became a, a, a sort of sad joke. They always had to confess to a, an addiction or a failing or a sin or a, an abuse or a victimhood in their past. It was impossible to go on and just say, hey, I've got a new movie, I've got a new book. I'm starting a new business. It always had to be about, oh, I'm healing the pain of my blah, 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 blah. And so we, we sowed the seeds to where now everything is framed that way. This guy is a narcissist, and this guy is an attention seeker, but he also thought that being a victim conferred legitimacy. Now, real victims would, would, would tell you they'd give anything to not be victims. People that have really been the victim of a racial attack or a, or a, a gay bashing attack or any kind of an attack, they'll be the first to tell you, please pass this cup. I would rather it didn't happen to me. I, I don't relish it. I don't, I don't enjoy it. But we've taught that being a victim confers authority and confers legitimacy and this guy drank that down to the last drop. And so when people tried to figure it out, well, he didn't need the money. That's not it. God, I wish that was it. I really do. I wish it was that simple. And I think the judge put his finger on that. I, I Again, I don't know if the punishment fits the crime or not, because this is such a weird thing. I had never even heard of some of these charges before. Had you? You know, it's, this is a lot of this is kind of new to me, and um, of course his family is outraged, and this is unfair, and it's unjust, and the system is, you know, uh, racist and everything else. So they've learned nothing. He's learned nothing. He stood up in court and ranted about how he's not suicidal and uh, et cetera, et cetera. He's still claiming there was an attacker. He's learned nothing. But we've learned a few things. And I think it's pretty clear that we have elevated victimhood in a way that isn't helping real victims, but is making lots of fake victims. I mean, we're, we're pumping them out. What do you think? 210-599-5555. The dish coming up after 6. Steve Ratner, I don't know if that name rings the bell. Steve Ratner was the guy who... When President Obama formed a task force and they did the auto industry bailout, Steve Ratner was the guy. So at one point, you could say that, in a, in a sense, Steve Ratner was the CEO of the American auto industry. He was the car czar, they called him. He has, and I'm just setting this up, he, he has worked with Democrats and Republicans. He is a Democrat. But he has said now that in response to the Biden administration uh, spin on inflation, that inflation is the result of Putin's war in Ukraine, uh, he is saying, no, actually, um, this is Biden inflation, not Putin inflation. And he needs to own it, Ratner said on Twitter. He needs... To own it, he said that uh, the Biden administration has overly blamed supply chain problems, 
been disingenuous, his word, in discussing how their policies and Build Back Better and social spending and Green New Deal spending are contributing to the deficit. The White House needs to be more honest, Ratner said. So Steve Ratner was a guy considered smart enough by Joe Biden's old boss to be in charge of the auto industry bailout. That's what he thinks is going on now. Let me play for you what President Biden has just said about the economy and how people, you and I, just don't understand it. Take a listen to this. Never forget what we've accomplished together so far. And by the way, the American people just trying to stay above water don't understand this. You tell them what the American Recovery Act was, they look at you like, what are you talking about? Did you get that? You're struggling to stay above water. That's true. <laughs> you don't really understand what's going on. You don't really understand what's how it works. You know, he's not completely wrong. There are a lot of people that don't. I mean, you hear people say this all the time. You hear, hear people talk all the time about basic economics, and you kind of cringe, right? You kind of feel embarrassed for them. It's like somebody farted and they didn't know it. I mean, when people don't understand that, that inflation is a product of the money supply, it's kind of embarrassing that people don't know that. But it's also very condescending to suggest that because people are struggling, they don't understand. Doesn't every politician owe his or her election to the version of events that they explained to the public? I mean, everybody who gets elected says, hey, folks, this is how things are. And here's what I propose to do about it, right? That's the generic campaign in a nutshell. So we were apparently smart enough to elect Joe Biden, according to Joe Biden. But we're too stupid to understand what Joe Biden is doing for us. The people that elected him were smart when they elected him. But now they're dummies who can't understand the American Recovery Act. If I was Joe Biden, I don't think I'd be questioning the intelligence of anybody. He has not made his mark in the world with his, you know, intelligence. Or displaying it, or showing it. But you know what's sad about all this? And I was thinking about this today. It's it, it, You can correct Joe Biden. We could do whole shows we could go through the State of the Union speech or any of these, you know, policy addresses that he's jetting around giving right now. You could go through them line by line. But it, it, the problem is Republicans aren't doing it. If we're going to have a two-party system, and I'm not a fan of it, but that's what we have, then for crying out loud, they're the ones that have to be able to explain the Trump tax cut, which he says only benefited the top 1% of Americans. That's not true. The Trump tax cut benefited the top 1% of Americans in the sense that the top 1% of Americans pay almost all of the taxes. They pay almost all of the federal income taxes that are paid. According to the Tax Foundation, the top 1% under Trump had a 1.5 percentage point decline in all their federal taxes. The bottom 20% of earners 
had their average tax rate fall from between 1.2% to barely above zero. So the low-income earners got the break through the standard deduction being increased, the child tax credit being increased, and then the Trump tax cut also helped everyone by increasing the incentive to invest in capital. And that's why we had high rates of employment and business expansion prior to the pandemic. So the problem right now isn't just Joe Biden. The problem right now is that the Republicans lack a steady, consistent voice Voices, it's got to be more than one person, who are presenting the other point of view. You can say, well, Jack, the media won't let them on, but that isn't even true. They may not get on all the outlets, but there are still places they can put this message out. We'll have them. Talk radio will have them. Do you have any idea how many tens of millions of Americans listen to talk radio every day? Where is the Republican version of this? Where is the answer to this? Biden is not very bright. It would not be hard to to carry on a kind of virtual debate where you're, not that you're debating, you're in the same room with him, but you're answering his assertions. In the State of the Union speech, he brought back the old chestnut about trickle-down economics. Now, trickle-down economics first started getting used around the time of Reagan. Reagan himself didn't use the term. It was applied to his economic plan. People who believe in Reaganomics, people who believe in low taxes, don't use the word trickle-down because it isn't what we intend. It's not a trickle-down, it's a torrent-down. It's a tidal wave-down. And that's what happened with the Trump tax cut. But i I got to wonder, you're never going to have an easier guy to counter-message than Joe Biden. Why aren't they? And where is it? And that's a rhetorical question, I guess. But do you wonder about that too? Like, I, I, you know, yes, he's got the he's the president. He's going to get the most airtime. Yes, I get that the networks are are carrying water for him. They're bent over double carrying water for this guy. I get it. But there are places in this media universe you can go. There are outlets. There are venues. And you've got to create them, too. That's the other thing. You can't sit there and go, well, we can't get on ABC, and we can't get on NBC, and we can't get on CBS, and we can't. Well, then you've got to create places and venues and build audiences for it, as well as go to the places where people have already built and curated an audience. And if I can see this and you can see it, and this isn't even our business, they can see it. Why aren't they doing it? And by the way, the American people just trying to stay above water don't understand this. You tell them what the American Recovery Act was, they look at you like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I will admit, I've looked at it many times and thought, what are you talking about? He's right about that. i got to give him credit. When he's right, he's right. 552, 550 and 1071 KTSA. So Steve Ratner, a Democrat, uh, a member of the Obama administration, the car czar who ran the auto industry bailout of 2009-2010, uh, saying on Twitter that 
this is Biden's inflation and he needs to own it. But the president is blaming everybody else and now Putin. And I was just wondering aloud, as I do, um, why aren't the Republicans able to craft a steady, consistent response to this? I mean, you can say, and they will, they, they run every campaign, they run on tax cuts. We're gonna, but, but you have to, you have to sell those all the time. You have to make the case all the time. And you realize it's harder to make the case for tax cuts today than when Ronald Reagan was doing it. 40-plus years ago, because today the government gives people a lot more. So when you were talking about tax cuts in 1979 or 1980, you were talking to people, most of whom, the vast majority of whom, paid into the government, but didn't take things out of the government. Today, you're talking to an audience of people who have gotten it. Everyone in this audience got a check from the government last year whether they needed it or not. So you've got to have a message that's strong and robust and consistent and not let Joe Biden, of all people, the lowest of low-watt light bulbs, get away with things like trickle-down tax cuts. It's unacceptable. So why don't the Republicans answer? Here's here's what I think it is, and I, I hope I'm wrong about this. I don't think they believe with a lot of fervor In other words, the modern Republican Party doesn't have very many true believers in capitalism. It has a lot of people that want power. That's most people in politics. That's really what they're there for. It has a lot of people that want to be, quote-unquote, more conservative. Not always able to tell you what that means has a lot of people that have better ideas or think things should work better. And I, I get that. But where is the person who is on fire with the message of let people keep what they earn you know it's kind of like the discussion we were having about sex education in the schools instead of us defending our right as parents i was saying earlier we need to go on the offensive and say where are you getting the right what gives you the right to teach our kids these insane uh, disturbing, uh, evil, immoral ideas. Uh, where is it written? Where is it in the law? When did we grant you permission to encourage them to be gender fluid? Or where did you get the idea that you could keep from parents a child who is struggling with his or her gender? I mean, school nurses call us when our kid is is struggling or is ill or is having a physical health issue. Where did you get the idea that if it's anything else, you should keep it to yourselves? And so I'm applying that to economics. I'm saying to the Republicans, look, you've, you've got to go on the offensive. We don't have to defend why taxes should be lower. They need to justify why they should be higher. We don't need to defend capitalism. They need to justify socialism there's an idea kicking around today that the government should give everybody who's quote-unquote a working family i guess they'll decide who those are i i'm sure a lot of families that work are going to not make that cut but anyway there's a plan to give working families or a proposal not a plan 
a proposal to give working families a $300 a month government gasoline voucher. It's not at the point where it's being proposed in Congress or the president, but economists are kicking it around. And I guarantee you the politicians are going to love this idea. I would be shocked if somebody isn't proposing this in a matter of days, putting it into the language of a bill. See, we should not play defense against an idea like that. They should have to defend why why in the wide world of sports are you even considering that? In what universe is that anything but hyperinflationary, which it will be? And so I I hope I'm wrong and that you know there's something percolating in the ranks of the Republican Party to start being the voice of the other side. You know, way, 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 way back, this is even before my time, the Republicans had a senator named Barry Goldwater. They ran him for president in 1964, and one of his signature lines was that the Republican Party should not be a pale echo of the Democratic Party, and that was a long time ago. But that word, that phrase, rather, seems to apply, doesn't it? Don't they very often seem to be a pale echo? And don't we need more than that? And we probably need it now more than in the days of of Barry Goldwater. Anyway, we'll be into that some more next week. We'll talk more about that. Always like to get your thoughts. If you don't get through on the show, you can always email me, jack at ktsa.com. Big cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. And on the last hour of the last show of the week, we talk restaurants. Because after everything else, you still have to eat, right? We still have to eat. And this is about your most recent restaurant experience. We call it the dish. And we've been doing it since before you were born. Two, no, no, maybe some of you. 210-599-5555. It's very easy. It's not, you don't have to do a restaurant review. You know, it's nothing like that. You don't have to be Guy Fieri. You just have to talk about a place you've been to today or last night or recently and talk about it the way you would tell a friend at work or a neighbor or a coworker. You'd come home and tell your spouse, oh, man, I had a great place, uh, went to a great place for lunch today. we got to go back there. Uh, I want to know about the name of the restaurant. I want to know about the food, the price, the service. And the way we work it on the dish is you can praise... Or you can zing. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> oh, man, she's back. She's back. You asked for it by popular demand. Praise or zing any restaurant in and around San Antonio. Food, price, service, any of those things. Tell us what we should get when we go or why we should not go. 210-599-5555. We're going to take those calls this hour plus... As we go along, we'll gather up any remaining votes for the JR poll. We'll have the results on our poll question uh, coming up right at the end of the hour. We'll say goodbye to a great Texas musician later in this hour as well. You're on KTSA. Um, so, one of the things that's interesting about the restaurant business, you know, there's all these trends, right? Like to go is a big deal now, and food delivery is a big deal now. And, um, Another thing that became very popular, and, and of course in our part of the country it, it's always been popular, but something that has become 
a trend or a growing part of the restaurant business is outside seating. So restaurants that had it during the pandemic expanded it. Restaurants that didn't have it tried to figure out, can we, can we do it? Do we have space? Do we have room? Can we squeeze out a few tables? Everybody was, was trying to figure out how they could maximize outdoor seating. And now in the restaurant industry, there's a, a pretty serious discussion or debate about whether that really is something to stick with or not. How do you feel about sitting outside when you go out to eat? Do you prefer that? I know some people that that is their preference unless it is unbearably cold out. They always prefer to sit outside. I know couples like that. They want to sit outside. They pick restaurants that have outdoor seating. They're not interested in a place that doesn't have any. And um and people are really some people are really fanatical about it or religious about it, you know. And then there are people that, you know, oh, I gotta be in the mood or just depends or, uh, but, but I, I do think it'll be interesting to see if there's as much enthusiasm for it now that we don't think the people at the next table are going to kill us. So 210-599-5555. Um, talking all kinds of restaurants and you can sit anywhere you want as we take your calls on the dish. Let's start with. I think we're going to start with Matt on KTSA. Matt, welcome to the show. Happy Friday. Oh, happy Friday to you. I'm excited to talk about this restaurant. I took my wife there for her birthday, and she is very, very hard to please. The restaurant's name is called Away to the Heart, and you it's very exclusive. So there's four chefs that run the restaurant, and they serve you a nine-course meal. And each chef prepares a different dish, and after they serve you the dish, the chef that prepares it gets up there and explains uh, the history behind why he decided to pick that dish and, and, you know, what it means to him or something like that. And so the night that we went, the theme was Asia. So we went from Russia all the way to Japan to Israel, and, and there was a dish from everything, you know, every Asian country you could think of. Well, nine total. There were two, two different desserts at the end. Uh, it's $110 a person, so it's a little pricey, but they also pair a drink with each dish. Well worth it. There was only about 12 people in the restaurant because that's all they could fit. It's in like a, a an old trolley car. And, um, yeah, it's an awesome experience. I highly recommend anybody go there. Huh. So, and, and you said that the theme changes, so it, uh, on any given night it could be some other part of the world or... Uh, yeah, I think they change it monthly. Oh, monthly, okay. okay. Yeah, so they, you know, so they uh, they, they they experiment with it. They, you know, uh, they're one of the chefs is fairly young. They're all locally from from around here. Uh, one's from I think two are from El Paso. One is from uh, I want to say uh, uh, Corpus, maybe another one's from San Antonio. Wow. I think if I'm if I'm uh, picturing this right, because it says it's fifty two fifty one McCullough, I think that's like a little shopping center that has a trolley car like out in the parking lot. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there's a thing together, a couple of different restaurants there, and a bar. Right. Right. Matt, are you still there? Where I think we might be losing you. Oh yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm, we're lo- we're lo- we're losing you, Matt. M- Matt, you said it's right. called a way to the heart, and did you say it's open only for dinner? Is that your understanding of it? 
Yes, only for dinner. Okay, and you have to probably have to make if it's only twelve seats, only twelve people. You probably have to make reservations, right? Yes, you got to make reservations in advance. Okay. Now, at the beginning of your call, I I, I want to take you back to this. You did say I want to give you a chance to save your life. You said my wife is very hard to please. When it comes to meals, yes. She's, she's okay. Very, Nicely yeah. done. When, when it comes, yeah. When it comes to meals, she's very she's very hard to please <laughs> when it comes to meals. So she she said I knocked it out of the park with this restaurant. The problem now, Matt, is where do you go from here? Uh, I don't know. To Paris. Right. That's tough. That's going to be tough. You've done a great job. I mean, every man listening to this admires your form. But now the problem is, where do you take her next time? Who knows? <laughs> like, he's like, Jack, thanks for ruining it. All right, Matt, thank you for the call, sir. Great, you did a great job describing it. A way to the heart. At, you know, a way, not a way, like a way in a major. A way to the heart. 5251 McCullough in the Yard Shopping Center. On the dish. 210-599-5555. Wade is on the dish on KTSA. Hi, Wade. Good evening, sir. Wanted to uh, give praise out to Babe's Old Fashioned Food at 12020 O'Connor. Oh, yeah. They, uh, little hidden gem there, not even a block off of I-35. Um, got great hamburgers. The young lady that's back there slinging them patties all the time. She's always got a smile on her face no matter how busy she gets. And they've also got chicken and pizzas. Just a just a smorgasbord of everything. The last couple of times we've been there, I've gotten the double cheeseburger with the homemade cut fries. It's just awesome. Um, now you said it's on. Did you say it's on O'Connor? Yeah. The, sure. It's right down there. Right down. Uh, I guess right before you get to the tire shop there on the on the the, the right hand side. The uh, right before you get the, to like the, address, the actually, the address is actually twelve zero two zero. It's the old Circle K that used to okay. be there, not the one, okay. not the one out on thirty five, but the one a little okay. bit further in. Gotcha, gotcha. Because there are uh, when you look online, there's several locations, and I just want to make sure which one you were talking about. The, so the one O'Connor's the, the one in O'Connor. Okay, very good. Uh, twelve zero two zero O'Connor Road, babes. Old fashioned foods. Wade, good job. Thank you, sir. Appreciate having you. Uh, 210-599-5555. As we take your calls on the dish, you can praise or zing any restaurant anywhere in or around San Antonio. And Todd is next on the radio on KTSA on the dish. Happy Friday, Todd. Hey, happy Friday. Yeah. Uh, first of all, we like outdoor seating because it's usually a lot quieter and easier to actually have a conversation with the person. You know, that's a good point. You're right about that. Um, but like to praise Azro, uh, Afghan Mediterranean restaurant on uh, Northwest Military Highway in Castle Hills. I uh, I spent more than a year in Afghanistan and, and got to love the food and, and the people, and, and it's a great restaurant. We're, mm-hmm. My wife and I are working our way down the menu, uh, numbers of one through fourteen, I think. And uh, and every time we we pick a different entree, we really like it. So it uh, I highly recommend it. What would you say to people who are going to hear that and say, well, I have no idea what that would be like, or how, how would you explain it? Yeah, it is, it is interesting. We, we, we 
we look at other people kind of, you know, staring at the menu like a, a pig looking at a wristwatch sometimes. Um, and, and so, I mean, if you like rice and, and a lot of uh, lamb that is uh, what I would call, um, you know, sautéed and, and really just cooked for hours, it, the, the flavor just jumps off the off the meat, and, uh, and they've got a variety of different uh, rices. So, um, yeah, a lot of rice, uh, vegetables, and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and meat. So if you're familiar with Mediter- any kind of Mediterranean cuisine, it's going to kind of be in that ballpark. Yeah, although I, I think the, the flavors are a little more subtle than, than like, a Greek uh, Mediterranean food. Um, so, I, yeah, they put more of the, the flavors in the meat than, uh, than the vegetables that, that accompany, accompany it. Very good. And what's it like as a place? I mean, is it small? Is it large? Is it uh, busy? Is it? Um, it's, I think there's it's probably about 10 tables. Uh, and if you want to sit on a, you kind of, uh, you know, sit cross leg on a, on a couch, you can, although I, we'd never get up. So we have not uh, done that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, about 10 tables, you know, with a lot of them with four people or, or even bigger ones with, uh, eight people to a table. Um, I think I, I say business is steady and, um, but, good. uh, definitely a good, good environment there. Glad to hear that. Well, I'm glad you called on it, Todd. Thank you. You have a good night, and uh, thank you for your service as well. You mentioned that. Uh, praise for Azro Afghan Cuisine, 2211 Northwest Military. We've had a number of calls going back several years on this place. Been there a while. Azro Afghan Cuisine. Last caller was October of last year. Uh, was praising the low prices, the lamb shank, the uh, hero uh, platters. And uh, everybody mentions lamb. Everybody who calls in mentions lamb. So I guess you got to get that when you go there. Uh, 210-599-5555. Praise or zing. Your most recent restaurant experience on the dish. You can also shoot me an email, jack at ktsa.com. Uh, there's a new study out about drinking wine. You know, they, they go back and forth and back and forth about whether drinking wine is healthy or not. I heard the other day that a, a glass of wine... Uh, for women and one to two glasses of wine for men might be healthy. But that study said something really interesting. It said only if you have already been drinking wine should you continue. It was saying we don't advocate that people that aren't wine drinkers start drinking it for the health benefits. I thought that was very weird. Like, why why not? (laughs) Why, Why can't it help someone... Uh, who hasn't already been drinking it. But anyway, and now here's another study, um, and this one was reported at a recent um, conference of the American Heart Association, and it says that drinking wine with meals is associated with a lower risk of type 2 diabetes. In this study, they saw the benefit only in the subjects who drank the wine with a meal, but not when they had a glass of wine by itself. And again, the recommendation is up to one glass of wine daily for women and up to two glasses daily for men. Don't shoot the messenger. This is just what they say. Maybe if you're a manly woman, you can get the two glasses. I don't know. I'm just, this is, you know, take it up with the American Heart Association. I'm just a radio guy. 210-599-5555. Praise or zing your most recent restaurant experience uh, on the dish. We have uh, praise from Norma writing in to jack at ktsa.com. 
She says, I love John the Greek at 16602 San Pedro. The weather is perfect for their Avgo Lemono soup. I agree with that. Cold weather like today and allergies are blowing around out there. And if you're sneezing or you're feeling a little bit like the allergies have made you a little sluggish, then I, I agree with her that Avgo Lemono soup is a good thing. She also loves the heroes, the almond cookies, great service and prices. Thank you, Norma, for writing into the dish. Jack at KTSA.com. 210-599-5555. There was a place I, whenever people would ask me about pizza, and they, they asked because I have an Italian name, I don't take offense. I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. You know, People look at me, they go, it seems like a guy that would know about pizza. So whenever they would, I would always, I got the question so often, I kind of, you know, like memorized a little mental list. Like, I'm going to tell them about these four or five places. And um, one of the places I just found out is gone. I, one of the places I've loved for years and years, I think probably as long, pretty much as long as I've lived in San Antonio, was a place called Miss Ellie's. And it was over on Bitters Road. Uh, I think it was 903 Bitters or something like that. But we used to get a lot of calls on the dish for Miss Ellie's, and uh, they did uh, a lot of different styles of pizza. They were also very famous for having these um, garlic knots that were incredible. Uh, I only ever had the pizza there. I think they had some other things, but I only ever had the pizza there, and it was always fantastic. Well, they're gone, apparently, according to uh, MySA.com, and a new place is going in. Uh, that's also going to be a pizza place called Sophia's. So I wish them well. I look forward to trying them. I don't know anything about them yet. I, I'm not vouching for them yet, but um, I guess they were somewhere else and they moved to that location, 903 Bitters. So Miss Ellie's is gone, but maybe a new place will pop up. There's still a lot of great pizza places. Very big on Julian's. Very big on Florio's, um, which is on Broadway, 7701 Broadway. Uh Definitely a big fan of the pizza at Little Italy, which is uh, on Moon Glow, right near the Blanco and West Avenue intersection. Also like the pizza at Trilogy, which is on Stone Oak Parkway at Hebner. So if you need that list again or you need pizza ideas, you know an Italian, you can always hit me up and I'll be glad to do that. It's something I have no problem talking about. Uh, 210-599-5555, praise or zing, your most recent Restaurant experience. Brian is on the dish on KTSA. Hi, Brian. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you, sir? I mean, I'm great. Hey, uh, just real quick, I already made my reservations for Away to the Heart, so I'll, I'll be going over there. That uh, sounded Thursday. pretty cool, didn't it? Yeah, that sounded really cool. And so I called a buddy of mine, and oh, actually made the reservation, and called him, and said we're going, taking our wives. So good. Um, but one I hadn't heard about on your show, and maybe it's been on there, I don't know, but, it, it, you know, people in San Antonio may not know about it, but Herman and Son Steakhouse over in uh, in uh, Hondo, they've got some oh, yeah. great yeah. food. And, and I don't know if you've been there, but they have a, uh, a, a pepper steak that, that is just out of this world. It's uh, It's got the, uh, not the jalapenos, one of those other ones. Uh, ah, man, brain dead. Anyway, good place. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that right on Highway 90? Is that is that where it is? It's 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 right on Highway 90. It's on the left when you're coming into Honda before you can get in Honda. It's called okay. Herman and Sons Steakhouse. It's been there yeah. 50, 60 years. It's but it's just it's. You know, I've been going there for 
30, 40 years, and it's still the same. And I, I go yeah. maybe once or twice a year. You know, I used to live in Houston, and we come through, we go. And now I live over in Pleasanton, and when we head out that way, we'll go. And we went to track meet over there the other day and, and went. And it's just always been just consistently good. Uh, sides are good. Everything's good. Excellent. I want to try it. Yeah, we've had calls in the past about it, not in a long, long time. So I'm glad you called about it tonight. And when you go to uh, the other place, make sure you let us know how you found that place. Yeah, we're going Thursday, so I'll call you Friday, all right? That sounds good to me. Thank you, Brian. You have a good weekend. Appreciate you, sir. And praise for Herman Sons Steakhouse in Hondo. 577 U.S. Highway 90 in Hondo. The American people just trying to stay above water don't understand this. You tell them what the American Recovery Act was, they look at you like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we are wondering what you're talking about. You got that right. Uh, this half hour, the results on our Stevens Roofing JR poll question about the Bear County Judge runoff. But uh, right now, we're talking about restaurants and your calls to praise or zing. You know, we probably should explain the zing, Don, because not everybody will know what that is. But um, Don Cooper, our producer, produces a uh, different zing sound effect every week. We used to have kind of a generic one. It was kind of boring. And so he takes something kind of funny from the news or the show or whatever. And and the one he's playing for you tonight was a, a lady who called. I forget what we were talking about. I think we were talking about... Um, the best gift you ever got or the best thing you ever got for Valentine's Day. Do you remember that conversation? Is that what it was? Pew, pew, pew. And yeah, she called in, and she called in to say that the best thing she had ever received for Valentine's Day was a, and then she made that noise. And I might have been a little tired or a little sluggish that day, like maybe you'd say I am every day. But I really swear to God, I thought that her husband had given her a church pew. Pew, pew, that, pew. That's... <laughs> And she got kind of offended that we didn't know what in the heck she was talking about, but she was making a gun sound. He had gotten her a gun. Pew, pew, pew. Sure. Yeah. Ever since, and then that Friday we played it as the, the, the sound effect on the dish, and people said to me, I, and I don't mean just a few people, that's got, you've got to use that one again. That's the only time we've ever had a request for the zing, I think. So so tonight we brought it back. Because we care. Pew, pew, you think. pew. She's somewhere going, I can't believe I can hear myself on the radio. All right, Pete is on the dish on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Pete, happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Driving to Corpus Christi and I heard the show. Um, so I'm going to have to go with Julian's. Good pizza. Everything was great. Prices offered a military discount. I was impressed. Uh, you know, I didn't have to say anything. He just saw my ID and immediately, boom, gave me a military uh, discount. Uh, nice. Uh, yeah, I was very impressed. I went to the one in Alabama Heights off, off, um, off um, North New Braunfels Street. Right. The only thing I have to say is 
I was disappointed the pizza wasn't cooked all the way. And the center party was uh, falling apart. But other than no that, kidding. I mean, the rest of it yeah. was good. Yeah, it was good. But I, up until the point where I was like, oh, man, I got to eat this with a fork. But... Well, I will tell you, and I'm not, I'm not making an excuse because that shouldn't have happened, but I, I don't know if people realize when you order a pizza at, at a lot of places, you can order it cooked to your specification, just like you would order a steak if you want it medium or you want it well done. And I've gotten in the habit right. when I order pizzas at a lot of places of saying, I want the crust well done because I like it scorched on the bottom, you know? I should have told him that, but it was busy. Typical yeah. Friday, you know, it was yeah. in Alamo Heights. Everybody's taking their families. I, you know, right. I didn't even think about that. No, but, well, it's not on you yeah, to think yeah. about it. I mean, they, they should have cooked it right. But in the future, if that's right. how you like your pizza, just get it well done. And most places can do that. Pete, I appreciate your call, sir. Though, have a safe drive to Corpus sixty four sixty two North New Braunfels in Alamo Heights for Julian's Italian Pizzeria and Kitchen, one of their three locations. Pew pew pew. I'm just, <laughs> a little bit of a zing for the crust. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I um, I, I don't know that every place will do it, and I guess if they won't, they'll tell you they won't. But most places I've encountered will, if you ask, uh, make your pizza well done. And I always have a couple of little requests. Uh, well done is one of them, and and almost every place I ever get pizza, I ask for extra sauce because I think most people want more cheese than I do and less sauce than I do and I'm kind of the other way around I want the sauce to dominate and the cheese to just kind of be riding on top so ask and you shall receive Eddie is on the dish on 550 and 1071 KTSA Eddie good evening good evening Jack I'm calling about the surf and crab I'm about to walk into it at the colonnade on on uh, I-10 and Wurzbach I've never even had a they do the boils. I've never had one until uh, uh, my daughter started working here, and I'm about to go in there order a boil from her and a beer. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. So this is not your first time there. You've been there before, and you like it. Yeah, I've been here uh, about a handful of times, yeah. It's not mm-hmm. close to where I live, so we we, we make a, a trip to come see my daughter at the bar and have a, and have a, have, have a bowl. Very nice. And you said it's at the Colonnade, right? Yeah, it used to be Fuddruckers. Oh, okay. I know exactly where that is. All right. Very good. So praise for Surfing Crab, 9837 IH10 at the Colonnade. IH10 at the Colonnade, 9837 IH10 for Surfing Crab. Uh, and they do Cajun seafood and crab boils and other things. And uh, good good website you can check out. 210-599-5555. Dean is next on the dish on KTSA. Happy Friday, Dean. Hey, happy Friday, Jack. Uh, I was calling about Sukatai Thai restaurant on Valley High Drive. And uh, they just have... Uh, Really good stuff. Uh, I used to have to drive, you know, quite a ways across town, and that was a place, you know, two miles from my house. So, what do you like there? Really What's good there? The uh, pineapple curry. I get that. You know, I can't hardly get anything else. You know, when I go there, but uh, tonight I also got the. Uh, it's called pad cashew, so it's like a cashew dish with uh, 
like little pea pods in it and mm-hmm. onions and stuff with chicken. And uh, that was just, I, I kind of ordered two entrees thinking I would, you know, cut them both in half and ha- take some leftovers home. The pad cashew didn't make it home. I <laughs> <laughs> well, and you can they, admit they, that, right? Yeah, I was just like, well, they, I was working a lot today and last night, so uh, yeah, I was hungry today, and yeah. I was like, I'm gonna yeah. get something good. They also do these; their, their spring rolls are smaller, but you know, with uh, COVID, everything has to go through some sort of change. And if you even read their menu, it says that they have. 12 bite-sized little spring rolls, and now there's six bite-and-a-half size. But, you know, things change. uh, And I like those little bite-sized because there was a little more of the, you know, the crusty outer part Mm -hmm. in relation to the filling. And uh, there's a place in Marble Falls that did it like that. And I really like those little spring rolls because you just dunk it in the sweet chili sauce and eat the whole thing gone very nice i like you i like your style i like it so and you say you pronounce it sukotai yeah and um i talked with the lady there that i don't know she might be the owner uh she Mm -hmm. was around from the beginning and uh it's spelled s-u-k-h-o T H A I. Right. And she said that the, the food that they make there is from the part of Thailand where she's from. Like, the, I guess there's a town or village or right. whatever. And that's the name of that place. So, I guess, like, you know, you get Chinese food, Szechuan style, or, you know, right. different food. And right. uh, she, she does it right. They got some uh, Chinese dishes, you know, that. I don't know, like orange chicken, sesame mm-hmm. chicken, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, uh, yeah, I've noticed a lot of Thai restaurants will throw in some Chinese things. I think that's just to make sure that if you bring somebody with you that doesn't know anything about Thai food, they'll find something they recognize on the menu, right? It's like a little, it's like a little uh, cheat sheet for people that aren't sure about Thai food. But I love Thai food. I'm, I'm excited to try this place, and I'm glad you called about it, Dean. We've had calls about it for years, but I haven't gotten over there yet, so I'm going to do it now. You, you sold me on it. There's also kind of like a little, uh, like to go one attached to a gas station over on Tesla Road that they opened up not too long ago, which is near the warehouse where I work out of. So, uh, oh, okay. Boy, you're in good shape then. Yeah. <laughs> one one end of the trip or the other, they got me covered. You're going to be getting your spring rolls one way or the other. All right. Praise for Dean. Thank you for the call, sir. Have a good weekend. Praise for Sukhothai, 410 Valley High Drive. Oh, no, that was different. That's for the spring rolls. Oh, okay. I, I Don, I, I'm sorry. That went right over my head. I apologize. This is, uh, I get it. It's the sound of a spring. I, when you have I to explain it. I thought something had broken at the radio station. You know, I thought we were having a technical problem. It sound, that sounded expensive right there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Sukhothai is 410 Valley High Drive. It's near the Lackland Gate. And we've been getting calls for about four years about this place. So, uh, and everybody loves it. And um, uh, a lot of people mention the pineapple curry.
Okay. <laughs> a friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> mm. I think we've all had a good laugh about the Ukrainian refugee crisis this week. It's hilarious. Oh, boy. Um, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing, the question today, we're in a political season. We've got some key runoffs. Bear County Judge, Democratic runoff between Ina Minjares and Peter Sakai. Who would have your vote in that runoff? It was uh, Judge Peter Sakai at 78% and State Representative Ina Minjares at 22%. In the JR poll across all of our platforms. Come Monday, new question when we get started at four, but you can always find the JR poll anytime at KTSA.com. This, by the way, is the weekend to spring forward to daylight savings time. I guess you probably know that, right? But just little reminders, everybody keeping each other in line. Remember to set your clocks forward tomorrow night. I, <laughs> I knew a guy that would do it. Um, he was always afraid he would forget before he went to bed, so he would do it like during the day on Saturday, and he'd be all fouled up, you know. So I don't know what to tell you. Write yourself. I put notes up, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, the spring broke. Uh, put some notes up. That way, if you forget Saturday night, you'll get up in the morning, see the you know see the signs, and uh, and do it, or do whatever you want to do. Um, there's a little sad news to hear about the passing of Bobby Nelson, uh, the older sister of Willie, and the first musician he ever played with, literally from childhood, was Bobby Nelson, and she has passed away at the age of 91. Now, you'll hear people say she played with him for decades and all that, and that is true, but there's something about Bobby Nelson that always has stood out for me, and it's it's one of the most heartrending and and beautiful details of a musician's biography I think I've ever heard. So she got married very young and and had a bad marriage and they had kids and they got divorced. And back in the day when this was happening, the judge said you can't have the kids because you play in bars. Willie Nelson was playing in bars and honky tonks and Bobby was in the band and he would not let Bobby have her kids. And she had to completely change her life. She went to business school. She got a degree. She went to work for the Hammond Organ Company. I think it was the Hammond Organ Company as like a in-store demo player. I don't know if that's still a thing, but it was a thing back then. And so she, she got away from what she loved doing and did something that she knew would mean she could have her kids and be with her kids. And she did that for quite a while. But eventually she gravitated back toward Willie and touring with him. And, you know, she's on. You hear her a little or a lot all throughout the career of Willie Nelson. And she's such an amazing musician that, you know, he, yes, that's great exposure and the world knows Willie Nelson. But... I always felt like more people should know about Bobby Nelson. And in fact, it was very late in her career when she finally released a solo album, an album of her own piano playing called Audio Biography. I want to play you tonight a piece from Audio Biography. And it's not just any song. It's one of the most recorded songs in American history. This is Bobby Nelson, 
the late, great Bobby Nelson and Stardust. 